Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. It is wonderful to chat to Colin Funky Miller, all the way from Las Vegas. Funky, uh, thanks for joining me on the Friday Focus. I'm going to get straight to it. Our listeners will want to know, and Australian cricket, the Australian public want to know, how did you end up in Las Vegas, mate? <laughs> Gilly, how are you, buddy? It's great to speak to you. Um, I, I married American, and uh, that's what happens. You end up in the desert in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> so my wife, Cindy, she works, for, she works for MGM over here, and she was building a, a huge... Uh, at the time, we were, getting, we were sort of getting together, and it was just easier for me to pack up all my stuff and move to Vegas and let her do her thing over here. So you, you, where did you meet? Um, we met in Teddington, Teddington in, um, during the Ashes in 2000. I rem- actually, yeah. you, you remind me, I remember the day. I remember the day, the event, That's right. of course, on the Ashes Tour, yes. 2001. Well, describe you the on her team corporate. instead of me. Exactly right. Yeah. And then, uh, so you you continued that relationship and, and ended up in, in Vegas. That was uh, her ha- hometown or was just where she was, was working? Uh, no, she was based in London when we, when we met. She'd been, she was over there building golf courses and country clubs for the company she worked for. And, and then uh, we did a long distance thing for eight years. And then uh, I finally popped the question. We got married in 2008. So it's 13 years this year. Yeah, no, fantastic, mate. And and what, tell me, and there's a bit of uh, suggestion around or uh, opinion around what you were doing when you first landed in Vegas. What was your first job when you when you touched down there in the in the city <laughs> that never sleeps there? Uh, look, I, 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 it's, it's my first job is what I do now, sort of. So now I run, I run the facilities for the Marriott Grand Chateau in, in Las Vegas, but my very first job um, was Cindy's best friend was the president of a timeshare company and they just made a job for me because, you know, you go from being a former cricketer in Australia to doing the sporty circuit and a bit of corporate speaking, some media here and there. Then you move to Vegas and not one person knows who you are. So you've got to find <laughs> something to do for the next you know, 15 years of your life. So yep. I became what they call over here an engineer, but it's really, like, it's really a handyman uh, in, in a resort. So... Uh, I, I the first my first paycheck was uh, twelve dollars an hour for 40, 40 hours of the week, which was four hundred bucks take home pay. And I said to Cindy, I said, look, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, I used to earn ten times that just for telling stories for an hour. Uh, I need to be in charge. So within, so within two years, I I worked my way to be in charge of that of that property, and then then moved to the Marriott uh, just over seven years ago. I've been there ever since. Yeah, right. Well, Funk, the, the legendary stories was that you were working concierge at a few of the hotels, which would have led to a few, would have been right up your alley, I reckon, Funk, given the, the way you carried out your uh, test match career. I reckon, you know, the, the coloured hair, blue, pink, white, whatever it was, would have fit nicely down the strip. There, there, one, of, one of the stories I read in, the, in a Melbourne paper, and I think it might have been started by Mark Ridgeway, was I'd married a, a casino heiress. <laughs> and I was just hanging out in the casino playing blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I think that's Warney, isn't it, doing that? 
so, mate, what, we were talking um, just before we, we hit record, mate, about Vegas and what what's happening there? What's the situation with COVID and obviously the world locked down? Is it is it up and running again? Where where's it at? No, it, it's been an amazing fifteen months ago. But you were here probably fifteen months ago. Yeah. Um, and and the city was 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 vibrant and it was it was full and we were we were aiming towards almost fifty five million visitors, which you know Vegas is just one street. Uh, and then COVID hit and we shut down completely. Like every single thing in town was shut, it closed. Um, everyone lost their jobs, got furloughed, and it was like a ghost town. It was amazing. I, my resort stayed open the entire time, so you know we were working. We had we had one person at one stage in the hotel of you know, twelve hundred rooms. We had one guest for three and a half months. Um, it's a crazy. And then last night at midnight, um, the city opened up one hundred percent. So Vegas is back Vegas <laughs> all of a sudden. Hey, uh, before Vegas fully is open. back. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, it was it was Memorial Day here on the weekend, so it's a long week, a long weekend. Um, the, uh, hotels are 100 percent occupied. Uh, day clubs and nightclubs are running amok, and no one's wearing a mask <laughs> except people who live here. Really? Uh, yeah, but the good thing is we're all vaccinated here now, so you know it's it's a different world. Yeah, that is, that is a different world compared to well, you know, still so many positive cases. You, you mentioned turning up, whereas in in Melbourne, a, a few cases sent it into lockdown again. It's obviously getting a little bit more serious there at the moment. But uh, that's extraordinary. So mm-hmm. Vegas, uh, they know the commercial uh, realities and that it just needed to. The world can't stop. No, we we couldn't. We literally couldn't stay closed any longer. Um, there's so, you know, where we live in town, where we're very close to the strip, about a mile and a half away, but we're sort of in suburbia, in a little pocket of town, um, and all the all the local restaurants have, have closed, all the local bars have closed. Um, you know, you can't get an Uber these days because it's just all the driver stuff stopped working. It's yep. it's it's crazy. It's going to take this town probably 12 to 15 months to recover again. Yeah, I don't think it's on its own either uh, around the world, uh, globally. There's going to be a long, yeah. long recovery out of this one, isn't there, mate? But uh, but that that's really yeah, it's interesting. Been sad. Yeah, 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 very sad indeed. But I made the the uh, suggestion that with your your coloured hair that you might have fit nicely in down down the strip there. Can you can you tell us? <laughs> it, it ended up with quite a cult following, didn't it? And I was challenged for my Friday focus to. Uh, the, we spin the big wheel and it comes up with a letter and that's the person, a, a sporting personality that I've got to go and pursue. And it was letter C. And it wasn't because of Colin. It was because of cult hero, why I focused in on you for this week, mate. <laughs> you really did get a cult-like status, didn't it? The hair. What, what were the origins of turning up in test cricket, international cricket with coloured hair? It was... Um... Well, it was two things. So I, I never played one-day cricket for Australia, which was always a dream. And the, that, that year that I did the coloured hair, I thought I was a Monty to play for a one-day team. And I'd always had this dream of, you know, playing on a Friday night at the G, you know, in front of uh, at the MCG, not the SCG, uh, in front of like 80,000 Victorians, being, being a Victorian by birth. Yep. Um, and then maybe having yellow hair with the, with, the, with the canary gold uniform on. I thought this would have been a really cool look. <laughs> and I, I just remember Steve Bernard coming in at the, at the end of day one of that test match in Sydney and saying, hey, guys, here's the, here's the one-day squad so you can all get ready to get, you know, tell your wives and your girlfriends to pack your bags for you and you're off on the circus again. And 
<laughs> he read the he read the squad out, and I wasn't in it. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not in the team. That's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I just had a high opinion of myself, obviously. But uh, <laughs> so I remember I just I just rang the hotel concierge and said, Hey, can you get a hairdresser to come in for me tonight? And uh, can you tell her to bring some hair dye in for me? And she just happened to bring blue. I mean, it could have been green or purple or red or yellow. Um, and I had I had a mate of mine, Paul, was staying in my room for the week. He was up here watching the test match with me, and uh, and uh, we, <laughs> he was bringing a few crownies and. It took about two and a half hours to get the hair done. And when I first took the towel off my head and the bright blue hair <laughs> dropped out and my mate just fell on the floor, you know, he'd had probably 10 crownies, so it's probably fair enough. But <laughs> I, I remember looking in the mirror thinking, my God, what have I done? You know, this I might have gone too far this time. <laughs> but uh, and I was Sorry, Brian Murgatoyd, our media manager, when he, when, he, when he saw it, he nearly had a heart attack as well. So now, now he's got to think of a name for this blue hair. So it was Australia Blue, Australia. Federation Blue. Federation Blue, that's right. It was the uh, Centenary of Federation the Test Match, was it, against it was. Uh, the West Indies? Yep, and exactly. Talking of reactions, what what did you make of the man that was on strike? Of course, this was during the Test Match. So you started the Test with your natural coloured hair, didn't you? And then you came out to yep. bowl. You bowl the first over of whatever day it was, day three or day four or day five. Day two. Day like three, two, yeah, was whatever, yeah. You take your cap off, hand two. it, and Courtney Walsh was the batsman, not out on strike. What would you make of his reaction? I, I am lost for words. What is that? Well, it suggests that uh, he's saying, I'm Colin Miller. Courtney, Courtney Walsh is laughing. You can't believe it. I've never seen that in a test match. He's coming down. I think he's appealing against the reflection off the head. Oh, the crowd are roaring here at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Wanting to make sure it's Colin Miller. It's Gilly, it's, it's hysterical. And you probably get the same thing happen to you. I get sent that video of me probably once a week like from people that on my social media say, hey, Funky, have you, have you seen this video? And I'm sure you, I'm sure you get sent videos of, of your best hundred or your biggest sixes and stuff and <laughs> like you've never seen it before. And I remember very clearly Rudy Kirsten was the umpire. I remember when I handed him a hat to Rudy Kirsten, he looked at me and went, what the hell have you done to your head? And then, and then, and then Courtney was taking strike and not looking up, and taking strike and not looking up, and he eventually looked up, and that's when I gave my hat to Rudy, and Courtney just started laughing. He said, "Who's that man bowling to me now?" <laughs> yeah, he he took a while to regather himself, didn't he? He didn't know what was going on, but uh, he did. No, nah, mate, it was a beautiful, pristine, crystal clear day. So it was electric blue, wasn't it? It was beaming nicely, but it was electric but, blue, mate. That wasn't the uh, that wasn't the only time you did it, was it? I reckon you met the Queen. You had an interesting rinse, didn't you, on the Ashes tour? <laughs> I forgot. I I forgot we were meeting the Queen that day, and I'd had pink <laughs> hair. Well, well, I'd had red hair, and it was, it is it sort of faded to a very floss colour. And I forgot that that the Queen was coming in that next morning. And so I remember when, again, Steve Bernard said, "Okay, boys, the Queen's coming in today," and I thought, "Oh my God, I've got freaking pink hair." <laughs> It's one of my biggest regrets. Is there's, there's a photo that I don't have it anymore, but I know there's a photo of me meeting the Queen, and I've got pink hair. Well, then she's got purple hair, so I mean, well, it's not yeah. too bad, really. <laughs> she knows a good rinse, doesn't she? Uh, what did she say? Do you remember what she said to you when she met you? She just she looked at me and just said, "Nice hair," because you, you you know the protocol. You're you're told before you can't talk to her, you can't do anything. Don't even ask her a question. So I just said, "Nice to meet you, ma'am." 
And she looked at me and said, nice hair. <laughs> uh, well, there's been many a famous line from a cricketer to the Queen upon meeting. DK Lily, the main one. But <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that's pretty conservative given you had pink hair meeting her. That was a uh, very fun times, fun trip. Mate, just to, to go back to the start of that, that cricketing journey, obviously 18 mm. test matches, 126 first class. But the test matches were... were Right at the back end of your of your career, really, weren't you? You sort of did it in a in a reverse manner to many. Um, yeah, and and that was sort of spawned primarily from changing from medium pace bowler to then incorporating off spin and being versatile enough to do it yep. uh, at, at will whenever needed to. What what was the initial reasoning for for, for turning to the spin? Um, you know, Gil, I'd, I'd always bowl to spin my entire, like right from the time I was like 10 years old. I have an older brother, Wayne, who's four years older than me. So we'd go to the Nets every two days. And I was actually not bad leggy when I was about 10 years old. But I, my dad bowled off spin and medium pace. So when I used to watch him play cricket, he did the same thing. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then when I played cricket for South Australia, when Tim May was our off spin bowler, I just loved watching Maisie bowl on day four of a shield match in, in Adelaide. Like he used to make batsmen look silly. I used to think that was a pretty cool thing to do as a spinner to be able to make batsmen look like that. So I, I'd been practicing spin bowling for years. Um, and then in Tasmania, it got to the stage where we had, we had four or five medium paces, but we just couldn't bowl teams out. We didn't have that extra variety. So I think 96, 97, I said to Booney, um, David Boone, I said, mate, look, we need some variety. I can bowl some spin if you want. And he sort of looked, gave me that funny David Boone glare. Um, he said, look, bowl in a few trial games pre-season. If they come out all right, I'll let you do it in a, in, a, in a shield game. And, you know, the rest of his history got 70 wickets that year. 70 wickets in a first-class season in Australia. That's across, what, 10, maybe 11 games? Did uh, 11, we, yeah, we played the shield final shield that final year, yeah. Against us over at the Wacker, didn't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you beat us in three days. <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> return. But, the, but, it, but it was a journey, wasn't it? Grew up in Victoria, a couple of games there, then to South Australia, uh, a bulk of it in Tasmania. Yeah. You ended up back at Victoria, but it was that season that sort of projected you up into the, the, the uh, headlights of the selectors and, and you toured Pakistan in 98, didn't you? And that was test debut Correct. over there? Yeah. my And really, and people, just the other day I was talking to one of my one of my uh, clients over here and they said to me, well, you know, what's the favourite place you've been to? And I still have fond memories of being in Pakistan back in 98. Uh, what a great place it was for us. You know, going up to the Khyber Pass and spending time with the riflemen up there and the local army people and then the people in Pakistan, just, you know, cricket passionate. It's such a shame that, you know, no one's been back there for so many years now. Um, but it was just great fun. And, and getting Salman Malik as my first test wicket. What a surprise. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, you've got to work hard for his wicket, mate. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, I think you were uh, part of a, a famous moment in that Ian Healy passing the world record dismissals. Is that, was that off your bowling? Yeah, it was. Um, funny, I'm standing in my bar talking to you, and I think it's Wasm Akram. Yeah. Because I've got right. a picture of, um, of Heels. Yeah, Wasm Akram bowled Colin Miller caught Ian Healy first test, 1998. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, how did you find the the elevation to test level from first class cricket? Because it, it as I say, you'd had a, a long journeyman career, for want of a better term, but it but all yeah. happened in a rush by the end of it, didn't 
It did, um, and I think the the big advantage that I had was I'd been playing first class cricket for 13 years already. Yeah. Um, so I knew everyone in the Australian team, because back in those days, all the Australian players played shield cricket all year as well. Um, and so it was, you know, if you played 10 shield games a year, there's probably a good chance you played eight shield games against Test match cricketers. Um, and then, being the age that I was, I'd played against Steve and Mark and a lot of the other guys at Heels and. Uh, and a lot in shield cricket and known them from, you know, in their mid to early 20s. So the transition from first-class cricketer to international cricketer for me was pretty comfortable. I think a lot of young guys, you know, in our era, Gilly, if they got if they were in there in the first five or six shield games and play a test match, they almost had to introduce themselves to the rest of the team, uh, which has got to be awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for me, it was it was pretty easy. Yeah, well, 69 wickets at 26 in across those 18 tests, mate. 10 wickets uh, in a match against the West Indies, Adelaide Oval. You had a very good captain, I recall, that particular game. I think that's might have helped <laughs> yes, out. You, you wickets, were. But, you, yeah, you, I snuck you, you in and burgled a win for us. But, uh, <laughs> and, and picked up, as you say, you, it's not uh, boasting. You, you slotted into Test Cricket beautifully and picked up Test Cricketer of the Year uh, at the AB medal, didn't you, for 2001. Mm-hmm. Mate, from... from the distance of, of the US and Vegas, the bright lights of Vegas, when you observe cricket from afar, what, what do you see now in the, in the modern game compared to, say, when we were playing and maybe the years before that? Uh, well, I, I think the obvious difference is the social media, um, the, the impact that that has on players these days. I think that's got to be immense because we just didn't have that. You know, we travelled with a bunch of journalists who had to put their story into the press and then get on the presses the next morning and be in the papers on the radio. So I think that's really different. Um, 2020 changed the entire game. Um, people like you, Gilly, changed the entire game. You know, wicketkeepers were wicketkeepers in the early 80s and then you came along and then made wicketkeepers batsmen. Uh, you had to be at the bat seven, make 100 and hit balls out of the ground then go and open in one day cricket the next day. Um, and 2020 has just been an advancement of that. I think it's just made the game so hard. Um, and then the wickets. The wickets are flat, and these giant logs of wood that they use for cricket bats these days. If, um, and then you bring the boundaries in 20 yards. Yeah. So do I sound like an old grumpy bowler yet? <laughs> well, on the T20, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I was going to say, um, and very nice of you to make those comments about me, but you would have been a perfect T20 player, but the fact that you can bowl... You know, you could take the new ball in the power play, swing it around, then maybe turn a couple of overs of offspin and, and you know, you scored uh, 350s, first-class 50s and knew how to absolutely clear the rope. So do you do you think that that was a, a missed... Well, not a missed opportunity, it wasn't around, but was, is that something you think you would have no. uh, loved to crack at? Gilly, you know my lifestyle. Imagine how good of a 2020 cricketer I would have been. <laughs> Bowling four <laughs> overs a day. <laughs> oh, my God. I would have been a superstar. <laughs> uh, yes, I reckon. I reckon uh, it would have right. it would have been fun, you know. Two overs of medium paces, two overs of spin, and then yeah. going to have a slog for four balls. <laughs> Perfect. That that is right up Funky Miller's, uh, right up his alley, mate. Hey, but on Funky, where and then going to and then going to have a cold beer. Yeah, yeah, true. Where'd the nickname come from? Um, Darren Berry, Funky Cole Medina, um, uh, a song by Tone Luke back in the mid eighties. Uh, when you've had 20 Scotch and Cokes, Funky Colin Manila and Funky Colin Medina get pretty close together. So Darren Berry started calling me that back in the mid-80s when I was playing in the Sackers, and it, it just stuck. 
forever. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. It was uh, it was a perfect nickname, I think. Very, very appropriate. Some action, but like Mick Jagger said, I can't get no satisfaction. Sport is something that clearly has been very dear to your heart, and I know you are a passionate supporter of the Vegas Maybe. Golden Knights, the uh, NHL, the hockey team there in Vegas, the ice hockey team. Um, to the point where yep. I'll just recount the story to our listeners where. I was, uh, you mentioned I was in Vegas about 15, 16 months ago. I was messaging you feverishly trying to organise a catch-up, but I didn't realise I had an old number, so I was uh, wondering why you weren't getting back to me. But um, So I went over there with the crew I was with. We go uh, to the hockey for a nice, my first ever ice hockey match. Brilliant night's entertainment. Unbelievable. Uh, up there is uh, some of the best entertainment you could go to. But uh, go for a bathroom break. With, you know, what's the stadium? About 18,000, 16,000 or so. And eight, eight, 18 and a half thousand people, yep. 18 and a half thousand people at, I think, T-Mobile Arena. Go to the toilet, walk out, bump into someone, turn around, and lo and behold, it's you. <laughs> and there we are, catching up, <laughs> which was unbelievable. But the Vegas Golden Knights, mate, and, and American sport, is there anything that you see that cricket, be it domestically in Australia or globally, could pick up from American sport? It, it, you saw that game, and, and, and it's funny that you say that you were here. You were here the last time that that stadium was full. Um, the next time it's going to be full is going to be Friday night. It's the first time it's going to be 18,500 people there. So we've been playing games this year with 3,000 people. First it was 1,500, 3,000, then 8,000. It was 12,000 there on, on Sunday night. So uh, it, I can't wait to get there on Friday night in front of that crowd again. It's the most exciting sport in the world. And the, just the way that the Americans produce sport, um, the, the pre-game part of it, the singing of the, singing of the national anthem, uh, the hype they put behind the importance of every game that they play, even though there's 82 games in a season, like every game feels important. Yeah. But I've watched you guys. Um, I've watched you guys commentating on T20. I mean, you've, you're on the right lines there exactly because you've got that bit of a hype. You've got young guys who have played the game. Um, I think it's really important that people who watch the game, the young fans, know who the guy is who's commentating. Um, and that's what cricket, I think, is doing really well now with Channel 7 and Channel 10 over there now and Fox. And uh, it's, I think that's the most important thing. You've got to get the kids engaged. And if you engage the kids, that's the future of your sport. Yeah, without, without doubt there, the grassroots level is so important. Do you have any involvement uh, in cricket in the US? Because that is a market that the ICC are desperately keen to tap into. Uh, I, I had an offer about six years ago maybe seven years ago to coach the U.S. team. Um, but it, it was it was honestly so corrupt over here at the time that it just wasn't even worth considering. Really? Um, now the U.S. cricket of ICC have taken control. Um, they've got it under, they've got it working well. There's regional sports being played now. There's 16 colleges that offer scholarships to play cricket. Um, the U.S. Well, just came second, I think, in a tournament recently. So they're in like um, Division 2 now, I think, in the ICC rankings. Um, 2020 cricket eventually is going to just blow up over here. Um, they've got a beautiful turf arena, um, turf wicket arena over in Florida. So once it hits, it's going to hit here big because there was a survey done. Um, see, I, I introduced 2020 cricket here almost 18 years, 19 years ago we played. Um, they brought us over here for three months just after I retired. Yeah. And for three months we travelled all around the US playing these 2020 games on, on old baseball fields. 
And um, I remember the 4th of July, we played in uh, upstate New Jersey and there was 4,000 American people there. They couldn't believe we could catch a ball without a glove and hit the ball after it bounced and hit it as far as they can hit a baseball and throw the ball really hard and bowl with a straight arm. Now, the sport is going to take off. All they need over here is to have some home-born um, talent come through and I think they're probably only four or five years away from having that. Wow, that's uh, that's positive signs then for cricket because that, as I say, is a, a market that the game would love to have. Well, mate, I uh, thank you very much for your time. I'm glad I can debunk the myth that you were a concierge at the hotel, you, but, <laughs> but you are a fine, upstanding member of the community there and uh, carving your way corporately uh, yourself and your wife, Cindy, um, at the MGM Grand there. So, uh, mate, all the best. Great to chat to you, and we'll uh, keep an eye on the Vegas Golden Knights as they try to progress through stage two of the playoffs. Good on you, Funky. Oh, we happy. Thanks, Gilly. Appreciate it, mate. Great to speak to you again. I asked the guy why he's so fly. He said, Funky Comadina. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.